0: You know, we've been in a series here, and it's uh, Open the Eyes of My Heart. The importance of this series for me as I walk through this is that I want God to open the eyes of our hearts. That God's Word says that He enlightens the eyes of our hearts, which means, you know, we're like those puppies. The eyes open up, and we can finally see, and the light comes in, and things become clear, and so forth. And that's where we're at right now, is opening the eyes. And the whole series is. Will you help us to see with the eyes of our hearts? Our message today is is very simple. It just says, Holy Spirit, help me to live a life of honor. You know, Billy and I served in the military for a lot of years. She was just, I think, right out of high school when I married you, right, in Kentucky. And bottom line is, um, honor was such a big thing for the entire family. It wasn't just the person serving in the military. And so when I t- talk about this issue of honor, it means a great deal to me. But whatever it meant to me in the military, I want to tell you that it ramps itself up significantly when I talk about and understand what it means to honor God and be honored by God. Our, our big idea today is that God created each of us to live honorably in lives that bring honor to Him. That's how He created us. And we can go through God's Word, and we, you know, as some at Summit Church, I, this this book right here is a big book. The nice thing about it, it's 66 of my favorite books, okay? And there's a lot of things in here that God speaks to me on, and then He turns around, and He, I see the same thing again, and He teaches me something more with that same thing. I just want God to open the eyes of my heart to understand the power of living a life of honor. And that's really critical when we think about it. You know, it's one thing to look at the word honor, and we we think we understand that, what it means to honor one another, to be honorable people. But you know, one of the words that jumped out at me when I when I wrote that and just kind of prayed over that was, there is power in honor. And sometimes we do not associate the word honor here with the fact that God wants to entrust and empower us as his sons and daughters to do the work of the kingdom here on earth. And so that's not something he says just to be meek and mild and shrivel up in a corner. But he says, I'm going to give you power. And there is power in living a life of honor. There is power in being men and women of honor. Our scripture for today comes to us from John 5, 23. He says, moreover, the father judges no one, but here's that word, has entrusted, given the trust to, which goes with the power all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. And whoever, whoever does not honor the son, doesn't honor the father who sent him. Now, it's easy to look at that and think of it one way, that this omnidirectional honor, that we were created just to honor God. But God wants us to understand that this street runs both ways. And what he means by that is, is that God is saying to us also, he's honoring us in the process. God is bringing honor to us as we honor him. And it's kind of like, I don't know. It's a crazy thought. It's kind of like a family where we honor one another and we have a father that honors us because we honor the father. It's crazy thought, isn't it? There's actually some scripture on that. You know, we when we continue in John at twelve twenty-six, he says this, whoever serves me must follow me. And And let me just take pause for a second. Whoever serves me does so by living a life. That's that follow part of this thing. It's not this mindless wandering in a sense that, well, I'm just following Jesus. No, that's not what God's called us to. He's called us to a life where we live by the principles that he has given us here. And that becomes the guidepost for our life. That's what it means to follow him. And he says, serves me, we must follow him. And where I am, he's saying, my servant also will be. My father, now get this, will honor, my father will honor, right? The one who serves me. So when we start this off, our foundation for this issue of honor is the fact that we honor God, but God honors us. We honor God and God in empowers us. empowers us. We honor God, and God entrusts with us the work of the kingdom. That's a pretty powerful thought, isn't it? That that's why you're here, is because God has brought you here to let you know you're being entrusted with the very best of what He has, the work of the kingdom. And then we go on from there, and when we, we understand that, then we've got to look and say, well, you know, It's really pretty easy to honor the ones that are nice to us, isn't it? I mean, really, people that agree with us in our faith, people that agree with us in our politics, people that agree with us about which football team to root for, I don't even know what they are anymore. But really, isn't it easy to honor them because first they honored us, and so that makes it a little easier to return the favor, kind of, right? But here's the real issue. And we can talk about the elephant in the room, and in the elephant in the room, you know, that big thing that sits there but nobody wants to talk about? How do we honor someone that's hurt us? How do we honor someone that lied about us? How do we honor someone that misrepresented us? And, and really, I'll tell you what the hardest part is. Mom's sitting here with two incredible young people. It's nice to have you back, all right? but I'll tell you what, you can mess with her. Yeah. You mess with those two sitting next to her and mama bear is going to hurt you. I know this because we have three children and 10 grandchildren. You you can do a lot to me and Billy. You mess with one of them, the kids and that, and that's where it just kind of, you know, raises up. So let me just kind of give you a perspective. How many Let's just talk to the ladies first. I normally talk to the guys. Let's talk to the ladies. How many of you ladies in here are mothers or have a mother? You understand exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that that part that when you you mess with one of the kids or you mess with one of the grandkids, you know, and we have to ask the question, how, how can God call us to honor those people? How can God call us to honor people that have hurt us? but more importantly, hurt the ones that we love. But he does, doesn't he? You know, he goes on and we look at what Jesus is teaching in chapter 5 of Matthew. It's a powerful teaching. It's what's called the Sermon on the Mount, right? And what happens there is Jesus has just finished teaching the Beatitudes. Now, the literal meaning of the Beatitudes, to use that word is, it's a state of great joy or being blessed. So that's the word given to those you know, blessed are's, It's eight of them right there, blessed are the meek, blessed are the mourn. blessed are those, you know, it goes through all of that, right? Those are pretty easy to take, aren't they? Because they're all positive things that we can do. You know, when Jesus goes down there and He says, you know, the blessed are, blessed are those who mourn. Well, if you've ever lost somebody, you know what it's like to mourn, be blessed. That's a tough thing, isn't it? Blessed are those who are meek, oh, that's so simple, right? We can do that once or twice a year, can't we? (laughs) Yeah, okay, once a year. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, it's easy to be a peacemaker when it doesn't involve you and you're helping two other people make peace, right? Because isn't it that situation where you look at him, and go, I can't understand why you can't do this. Here, let me step in the middle and help you with this process. So Jesus is giving us in the Beatitudes all of those. But here's what he follows it up with, right? Then at the very end of that, he adds another blessed. You ready? Here's his blessed here. Blessed are you when people insult you. Wait a minute. Didn't we just cross a line? Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, falsely say all things evil against you because of me. Jesus is telling us this. But then he goes with this, rejoice and be glad. That's a tough one to follow that with, isn't it? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they prosecuted the prophets who were before you. As I told you when I started off, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of great men and women that have gone well before us in the faith, aren't we? I mean, we can look at the John Wesleys and we can look at the William Wilberforce's, George Fox. I can start naming all of these amazing people that went before us. But then I can do the same thing, and we're going to do that next week. Right here at Summit Church, we're going to look at 40 years and see video clips from great men and women that have come from Grace Community and Summit, and we're going to celebrate that. But I can't tell you enough how humbling it is to stand here on this platform. It's it's not just some wood that they put here. This represents the standing on the shoulders of incredible people that have been here And saints, let me just tell you something, incredible people that are still here. Do you understand? This is who we are as a family. And so when we look at this here, Jesus is saying, look, they've done it to people that followed me before you, and they're going to do it to people that follow me after you, and you're just part of a long line of people that God is raising up in His kingdom as His sons and daughters. Now, to some that may bring a little comfort, but to others they're going, man, man, Jesus, come back quickly, will you? But the reality of that is there's still a lot of work to be done, isn't there? And so when we look at this and what he says here, really, blessed is when we are insulted and when we are persecuted, when people say things about us. So what we haven't done so far and we need to do now is then let's talk about what it means to honor someone. What does it mean when we use that word? And you know, one of the things that I find very often in conversations is because we all speak English, we think we understand the meaning of the same words the same way everybody does. We know generationally there's difference in how we say things and so forth and all that goes with that and, and so forth. So let me give you a working definition. And the working definition for me is simply this, to honor one another, okay, we come into agreement with God regarding that person's identity, value, and calling. To honor someone, honor one another, we start by coming into an agreement with God, right, regarding that person's identity, their value, and their calling. When I look at this here, he doesn't say come into, you know, this doesn't mean we come into agreement with just the ones we like that treat us well. God is also saying this about the ones, I'll say this delicately, because delicacy is, you know, to be delicate is something they taught me in a ranger battalion, so I'm trying to work on that. You know, the ones that are stinkers, you know, and we've all got them in our lives, don't we? We've got the people that we can't understand why they feel the way they do politically. We can't understand why they feel the way they do or faith-wise, or if they say they're a Christian, but they're, There's nothing that shows from that, right? Just stinkers. And so this idea out there that we're to honor everyone, it gets a little tougher when we talk about the word, well, let's start with everyone, because God is calling us to do that. Now, what when I'm saying this here, my definition and what I'm working on is, I got to learn to like everybody. You know, one of the things that's confusing is, People think, well, I've just got to like this person, then I can learn to learn to honor them. I think God calls us to do something else. In none of the scriptures that we share did it start with, first, what I want you to do is spend time and learn to like them. Your world will be a lot better place when you learn to like them. And after that, I'll teach you how to honor them. It's not what God's saying to us, is it? Everything God's saying about honor is reflected to Him. Are we honoring God in this relationship? Are we honoring God in our marriage? Well, when I when I say that, to honor my wife, I can say, well, you know, I brought you flowers last week, or I, you know, all the things here, I honor you. But if I'm not agreeing with God about who my wife is as a person, it's very difficult to truly honor her. If I'm not agreeing with God about her identity, her gifts, her calling, what God has done in and through her, and I'm not agreeing with God with that, it's very difficult for me to truly honor her, isn't it? Well the same thing is true with people we don't like that have hurt us, that have wronged us, and there's things like that that we work through. We've got to get these right. You know, and you say, well Chuck, that's still a stretch, isn't it, I mean, for everybody? We studied a scripture a few weeks ago in Jeremiah 1.5, and we broke it down into three parts. And he says this before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. We appointed you, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, what was neat about that is we talked about before you even created in your mother's womb. We talked about while your mom was pregnant with you, and we talked about then after you were born. God's got you in all these seasons, right? God is speaking that to all of us, and that's not just to us followers of Christ. Now, let me tell you how sometimes we respond as Christians. We talk about how much we believe God's Word. We talk about how important God's Word is, right? But it's interesting as I talk to people, and sometimes when it comes to this issue of honoring and coming into agreement with God so we can respect, we can honor, we can treat people because they are a child of God, whether they realize it or not. You know what it seems like sometimes? It seems like we've got this split in Christianity. Forget the ones out here. Just, let's just talk those that call themselves Christian. Between over here, they talk about, you know, creationism and evolution. Let me just break this down. Okay. It's like we have this feeling that when we know Jesus, we're so special. We had to be created by God. Right, It's like my wife tells every one of her kids individually, you're my favorite. I'm sorry, I let that out in case they see it. But they know. Our daughter actually took a text where Billy sent that to her thinking, you know, the kids could keep a secret, and she tells them all. And she's the only mother or grandmother that does that, isn't she? Just say yes. And then our daughter texted to the two brothers and said, see, I've told you all along, right? But it's this idea that as Christians here, we believe in creationism, that we were created by God. We were molded in His hands. God did this, didn't He? And then we have this idea that people that over here that are, you know, that stinker group, They had to come through creationism, didn't they? They had to be the ones that came from one cell to two cells. You know what it takes to believe that that could actually happen? We won't go there. But the idea that they were created with those cells and cells, and then they became this animal or this thing and this thing, and eventually they became monkeys and baboons, and then they became us. How cool is that? Here's the problem with that, right? We either got to take a stand on one camp or the other. Either we're all created by God or we're not. Can't have it two ways. God didn't take a group of people over here and create them and then take another group over here. So we either stand on God's Word right here that says, every single person in here was created by Almighty God, the sovereign God of the universe, or we weren't. But we can't draw a line and say, but those people that don't agree with us, that's a different camp. God did something different with them. We're all in this together, aren't we? So when we talk about this idea of honoring, then we're talking about... Then let's come into agreement with God. Can we do that? Let's come into agreement with God that if they're on this earth, a breathing person, they were created by God. They can have different political views, different religious, but we know this. God is still the supreme God of the universe, isn't He? And that's why we're here. So when we look at this, then what are the the ones that we have here, right? Well, we know that He did that, and we know we've got to do something. In Hebrews, it tells us this, 12.1. And this is this standing on the shoulders, but he says this, since, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked before us. This is one of those cases where I tell you, I have people that say, you know, Chuck, I've read the Bible, and this is what it said to me. What should I do now in my faith? And they'll say, what, what would be the next book to read? I go, well, here's what i tell you, read it again. And here's why. For all of us in here that are parents or have parents, right? Now we're back into that. We've used the same illustration, the same example, to teach our kids different things at different times, haven't we? We've used this idea about, you know, we can start off with the, you know, chopping down the cherry tree, I cannot tell a lie stuff, right? That's a good one there. But we got to get a little deeper as they get older, right? But we can use a similar story about integrity or things like that. But we use the same pieces of this. Well, God does the same thing here for us. You can read a scripture, and at the point that you're at in life, what you need in that moment, God can speak to you. And he does this for me. And that scripture there, and the thing that jumped out in 12.1 of Hebrews was when he says a great cloud of witnesses. And I go, wow, what an amazing feeling that is, isn't it? Because you know what? Witnesses testify. Isn't that what the word is? Right? And what he said is to me is that in these times when I am in this great battle, right, to honor when there's reasons not to honor from my human perspective, God is saying, but now wait a minute. I have surrounded you with this incredible cloud of witnesses who will testify, right, as to what you're doing in this process. And I didn't see that before at times. I just said, yeah, I've got this great cloud. What we were talking about is the history here. But isn't it the fact that around you, God has placed this great cloud of witnesses to witness, but they're also there when you know you're in the presence of witnesses. Do you act differently? If you're by yourself or with just that one person and you make a decision on how you talk to them or what you say, right? Do you act differently than when you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, people that are there and you know they're going to testify about this? Do we not ramp up our game a little bit on that thing? Do we not check our speech on that a little bit? Do we not think about what the right thing to say is or the right way to treat them? Because, you know, we're surrounded by these witnesses. Now, here's the thing that hit me. For me, Chuck Stecker, every time I think, look, I can say whatever I want to say, because if they repeat it, I can deny it, right? I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments, but I have. But then when I think that I'm not by myself, and I can't deny it, because God has promised around me this faith relationship with this great cloud of witnesses that are there and prepared to testify. To who? Well, God says they're the witnesses. He's not the judge, but the Son is. That makes a lot of difference for me. Have I got this thing right? Oh my goodness, no. Please don't think anything I'm saying is telling you, just watch how I do this. I got this thing nailed. One of the things I love, one of the many things I love about being here at Summit Church with you. we're on a journey together. Whether this is a first time for you or an early time and you're checking us out, whether you've been here for a while, whether this was your church for a while and we're so glad to see you back, we've got all of these things, don't we? But do you know every single one of us, do you know we're on a journey together? And none of our journeys are meant to be better than the other person's journey. Get this. God's got us on an individual journey here but we were meant to do it together but not tell each other my journey's a lot better than yours. I'm a lot farther down the road than you are. Every time I think that, God reminds me of how far I've got still to go and I'm not anywhere near it yet. So I don't want you to think for a moment and I know the hearts of our elders, I know the hearts of our staff and our dream team and I and I believe you're going to get the same answer from us whether you're a young man or a young lady, whether you're here married, whether you've just, you know, all of those things, right? We're all on this journey together, and at summit, we want to journey with you on that on that walk that you're on. So here's what's the thing he tells us. He says, "Okay, you know what we've got to do is," he says, "It's the cloud of witnesses, but he says, throw off everything that hinders or the sin that so easily entangles us." Two things that he tells us there. He says, get rid of those, avoid those. Here's the, something that I want to tell you. When he tells us everything that hinders us, some of the translations say the weights that you carry. You know, I remember many, many years ago in a couple of ranger battalions and some other units, a lot of times we would train and we would put on vests with weights on them. And you would run with those. Or we had I had ankle weights at one time. And you've seen some of these incredible athletes where they're on the, the treadmill kind of thing, and they've got the breathing apparatus that restricts their breathing. Well, can I tell you, all of those are meant for training, and they're not meant to tell you how to live your life. Those are to help you run better. But when it comes time to actually run a race, what do they do? They get rid of everything that hinders them. They may be good for training. They may be helpful in some instances. Do you understand? But that's not how you were meant to run the race. You were not meant to run the race with extra weights on. And one of the things that they talks about here and is dropping the mic on the floor. Fortunately, it wasn't on, okay? But one of the things that he talks about is the sin and the weight here. And I love the song there that when it talked about the shame and the weight of it that our our worship team led us in. You know, there's so many things. It's not just our sin here, but even that word shame, what that means, that weight that we carry that we haven't let God resolve for us. And so we talk about this part here. What are some of the things that just hinder us or is just sin? Now, let me just tell you. I'm not an anger management guy, had a conversation with a young man this week. We were talking about anger, and he said, well, I just just need to learn to manage my anger. And I said this in love, I would never say this to a lady, but I said this to him because we were sitting there, but I did say it with kindness and love. I said, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard a man say. Do you listen to yourself when you say these things, or you just spew them out and you think I'm supposed to go, oh yeah, great idea. You don't manage anger. You don't manage it. If you manage that, then that just means I'm okay in having it. I just want to control where I use it. You know what I mean? And I said, if you'll manage your anger, you'll manage your sin. All you'll say is, I'm okay with a little sin as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. As long as my family's okay, or maybe it is as long as nobody knows about it and I can just manage this, right? Well, he's saying right here, that's not the case. Throw off everything. If it's in your life and it separates you from the walk that God wants for you, get rid of it. It wasn't meant to be in your life. But he's also telling us, and I'm telling you, let's come back to the fact that we're in this journey together. That's why we have community groups. That's why we have all kinds of opportunities for us to grow. We're on this journey together. And what is that journey? I think a large part of that is to grow. But in growing, it's get rid of everything that's a weight, everything that's a hindrance. And you know what? Deal with sin if you need to do that, which, by the way, we all do, don't we? So let's deal with that. So there's three things here I want to tell you that specifically that I find that you know kind of hinder us in the process. And those things are gossip, retaliation, and living self-centered lives. Gossip retaliation, and living self-centered lives. Let's just go through these things. I know there's a lot of other things we could have thrown out. Maybe I'm just dealing with stuff for me, and you just get to listen in on the conversation, okay? But this issue of gossip, let me give you a couple of things on gossip. Gossip is a person who habitually reveals, right, personal or sensational facts about others. Personal or sensational facts about others. It's like, you know, I know something you don't. Let me share this with you, right? But there's another part of this. And, and the part that jumps out on me on this is this casual or unconstrained. Well, it's just in the flow of things. We say things, don't we? Unconstrained conversation or reports about other people, get this, typically involving details that are not confirmed or being true. One of the things that's helped me in this process, and I wish I could tell you, gee, everybody, um, I've done this four times, and I've got this thing nailed now. But one of the questions that I ask myself, and sometimes when I've made a mistake, I have to ask myself afterwards and rephrase it, but the question is this, whose story is it to tell? Whose story is it to tell? I had actually preached a good part of this message at our home church where we had attended a Passionate Life. And I was there a couple of weeks ago at a a men's group. And afterwards, one of the young ladies said, Billy and I know really well, and just a tremendous young lady. And she said, Chuck, if you could pray for her. And she named the people. And she said, "I, I can't talk about it. And here was her statement, which in a sense pleased me, but it reinforced for me. She said, Chuck, it's not my story to tell. It's not my story to tell. But she said, I know you and Billy know them. You know a good part of what's going on they need prayer and by the way if you could reach out to them it would probably be good and then she looked at me and i didn't ask for any details i didn't need any details i haven't always done well at that but she said but chuck it's not my story to tell and one of the things that i come back to afterwards and sometimes i i have to evaluate some things and have you ever said something and you go gosh i wish i hadn't said that or have you ever said something and you have this kind of quickening in your spirit that says to yourself, should I have said that and repeated that? The thing that I've come back to in that instance for me that I'm working on is, I ask my question, okay, Chuck, was that your story to tell? You've already told the story, right? But I have to ask myself, was that my story to tell? And a lot of times I can't fix it if it wasn't, but it'll help me understand, why did I do that? And what do I have to safeguard in my spirit to not do that again? Because I know for me, it wasn't of God. And it wasn't where God wanted me. It wasn't what he positioned me for. So that issue there is whose story is it to tell? Here's the second thing, this this issue of retaliation. We've already talked about the moms and messing with their kids or messing with their grandkids. But here's what the gospel tells us in First Peter 2.23. When he was reviled, the tough word, isn't it? And some of the, some of the translations and the expandable today, when he was spit at, cursed at, you know, they threw things at him and so forth, he did not revile. He didn't go for retaliation. I've often looked at this and said, you know, I don't know about you, but are there times in your life where you go, if I was God, you know, like you look at situations, like, if I was God, I'd fix that. If I was God, do you ever have the time when you look at this and you go, when he was reviled, He had all the power in the world to, with the wave of a hand, wipe out legions, and some of them needed to be wiped out. We'd have been a better world without them. You know what I'm saying? That's if I was God. I'm not God, okay? But here's what it comes down to. We see by the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself. It says that he continued, and here's this, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him Judges justly. Did you get the word entrusted again? Remember we started with that in the Scripture, right? Now we come back to this here. But there's something up here too. You know, you have some people say things to you. It doesn't make that much difference sometimes. You just go, I know the source of that, you know, and you walk away from it. But that's not what they're saying in the Scripture here about Jesus. It's saying they did these things, and as a result, Jesus himself suffered. And I'm not talking about he suffered at the cross alone, you get that, but through that entire process where he could have chose to retaliate, he chose not to, and he entrusted his life to the one who always judges justly. And that's the example that he's setting for us on that. Now we get to this issue of self-centered living. The Apostle Paul tells us this. In Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body and live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What a powerful statement, isn't it? You know, two weeks ago, we set up the the tank, and at 9 o'clock, We had the privilege of baptizing one of our own family and at 11 o'clock we had the privilege of baptizing one of our own family i've actually had some people i've told them this outside the church and they said you brought in an entire tank filled it days before heated the water put everything in place to baptize one person at nine o'clock and one person at 11. the answer is yes we did at summit church and if there's one of you that's ready to be baptized those dates will be announced and if there's just one the tank will be here for you because we believe so strongly in that act of obedience but get this in that act of obedience in baptism we almost say you die to self when you're placed under the water right and you're risen again in Christ the Christ that lives in you right that's what that represents and so when we look at this this idea to understand that I, I've been crucified. It's not me that live. I no longer live. But it's Christ that lives in me. You know, there's many indicators of a healthy culture. Every church, every organization, every family has a culture. But here's what I believe. One of the greatest indicators of a healthy culture is seen in the manner individuals honor one another. I've watched this happen in groups, and we often say that when somebody comes in new and they they try the church how they're greeted and how they're personally honored will tell you tells them a lot doesn't it but you know what i think also and i think this tells them more i think they look around at the people here that call themselves god's family and they're looking at us to see how we honor one another they're looking at us and they're listening How do we talk to one another? How do we care for one another? How do we honor one another? Because I believe this, one of the greatest indicators of a healthy culture is how we honor one another. And again, I keep coming back to our elders and I come back to our staff and our dream team. We want to be a part of serving this entire church not just in honoring God, but honoring God by creating a healthy culture for us to grow in and grow together. So to do this, we just got to look again, right? As we move to our response time, we look at this, what was the definition of honoring one another? To honor one another is what? We're coming into an agreement with God, we're coming into an agreement with God about identity value and calling and that's at whatever age whatever the color of your skin whatever your gender whatever generation summit church is striving we are praying and crying out to god to be a healthy culture for the journey that you're on regardless of where god has you and to be there with you we come to our response time now and the real issue with response is, how are you gonna respond? And I believe this, that the response could be the foundation on which we move forward. And as before I tell you about responding and tell you the elements right now, I wanna tell you one thing. And I've shared this with our leadership and our team. I believe that these next few weeks, the spiritual warfare in our nation, in our church, is going to be enormous. I believe this. I believe that the division that we have in our nation today, politically, we haven't seen a division like this since Vietnam era, the 60s, Civil War. I think Satan wants to capitalize on that, to tear families apart, to attack churches, and everything that goes with it. I want to tell you this, God doesn't have a problem with politics, I don't believe. But God wants our politics to be shaped by our faith, not our faith determining to be determined by our politics. Here's what I want to tell you. I'll go political, you ready? Vote. It's a very private matter. How you vote, what you vote for, is your personal decision. It's not something you need to share. But I'm gonna ask you to do this. I believe it's important for our nation. Would you vote? But vote with your heart, and vote with your faith. Nobody needs an explanation for that. Vote with your heart, vote with your faith. But I would also tell you this, we need to be in fervent prayer over this time frame. We really do. And I think coming up to the election, which will just follow our 40th year reunion, our 40th year legacy weekend, I just feel like things could be very ugly. But in the worst of times, the smallest of light shines the brightest. In the most difficult of times, here's what I believe. God gives us the greatest opportunity. When things are at their very worst, God gives us our greatest opportunity to live as sons and daughters of Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, and represent Him well here on earth whether it's in our schools, our workplace, our home and our neighborhood. Let this be seen as the greatest opportunity we have seen in a long time. But I believe this, we have to be honorable people to do that. And we have to live honorable lives with one another. As we come to the time of our response, I'm just gonna ask you, how is God calling you to respond? Are there people that perhaps you need to ask for forgiveness are there things that you need to examine about your own foundation as you prepare to move forward in this i don't know but here's what i do know our prayer team is located on both sides they're there to pray with you there are chairs in back if you just like to sit down and have that conversation there is communion available on both sides whether you want to do that on your own welcome to or whether you want to have somebody lead you in that and help you we're here for you the third thing is the cross and we have some prayers up there that represents everything that empty cross and the empty tomb tells us everything doesn't it but anything you put on there a prayer concern and remember jesus said it is finished it's done maybe there are some things you need to put there that have been a weight or an encumbrance Holding you back, sin, whatever, you want to join and want people to join you in prayer, it's there for you. So, as our worship team starts to lead us through this time, I want you to feel free as your pastor, move about, let God respond to you, let God speak to you. But if God is speaking and we can help you in one of those, we're family together and we're going to grow as a family of faith together by walking this journey together as honorable men and women who honor our Heavenly Father, who honors and empowers us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you, Lord. We do. We confess, Father, that we haven't always done it right. Could have been yesterday or the day before even. But we're here today, Father, and we're asking you, have your way, Father. Have your way. Give us the areas, Father, that if you want us to respond, what is it? Whether it's with the prayer team or just taking communion or to put something on the cross or just to sit where we're at, stand. But, Father, give us the courage to respond in a manner that will bring honor to you. Father, I thank you that you are here. You have been here for us. And you will stay here for us. And we give you thanks. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all of God's family said, Amen. Amen.